Timothy grew up in the oil fields of West Texas. He's been all over the Western Hemisphere, a radio and TV veteran, former restaurateur, and a cowboy at heart. He's Earl Farrell, and he calls Memphis home because Memphis is cool. This, this is the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. And now, here's your host, Earl Farrell. And thank you very much, and uh, welcome in on this uh, wonderful Thursday afternoon. Uh, do a reiterate what our news just reported is that Cleotha Henderson, um, in the case of the uh, murder of Eliza Fletcher, uh, the district attorney is seeking the death penalty, so I think he's starting to get the message. Uh, the district attorney's office have filed a notice seeking to give Cloetha Henderson the death penalty. The DA filed a notice in Henderson's hearing on Thursday morning, that was this morning, and is charged with the murder and kidnapping of Eliza Fletcher, September 2022. Investigators say the kidnapped her while she was out on an early morning jog. She's also accused of raping Alicia Franklin, who has filed a lawsuit to try and hold the city legally liable over her untested rape kit. Her lawsuit uh, recently was dismissed, but her attorneys are trying to revive the case. Uh, that shouldn't happen. I mean, they, how that ever even got started with thousands of rape kits uh, sitting in a storage bin someplace because they didn't have people uh, to look at it. Uh, they say it was the TBI's fault. They didn't have enough people to look at them. I don't care whose fault it is. Uh, it needs to be rectified, and they should be throwing cases out because uh, they weren't tested on a timely manner. Uh, so uh, hopefully we'll uh, uh, get that in order soon. The other side of that is start arresting people and putting them in prison. They cannot rape anybody. Well, I guess they could do it in prison, but, uh, hey, you're in prison. Uh, but uh, they shouldn't be out on the streets, and until they start getting people off the streets that are criminals. I mean, where does it say we got to continue to uh, inhabit the streets alongside criminals? I I tell people all the time, you pull up to a stoplight, just take a look around, a four-way stop, and look around at the people around you because I guarantee you one out of six people is somebody you don't want to know. And that's just the way it is. But uh, kudos to the DA for going for the death penalty and uh, many, many more. And then they, they just need to convict them and then uh, fulfill the, uh, the charge and the, the, the penalty. So um, and then uh, on another note, uh, if you've lost power uh, during the recent storms and your Wi-Fi has not come back, I know the Xfinity cable was out for a while, but we got our cable back, but our Wi-Fi did not come back. Uh, you might want to try rebooting your Wi-Fi, uh, your modem. Just unplug it for a few seconds and then plug it back in. It may take several minutes for it to reboot and come back on cycle. Uh, but uh, we did that today, and everything is up and working again. So now we've got cable, we got electricity, uh, everything's working. Uh, the My timer on my accent lights is working, and I've got the sprinkler system working. <laughs> You know, when you, the power goes out, your world pretty much comes to a screeching halt. We're back in uh, in uh, cavemen days, except uh, the accommodations are a little nicer, but uh, the accoutrements are not. So give that a shot. Also, I want to uh, talk about 
just this heat, uh, although it hasn't been as bad here recently, um, there is uh, uh, your animals to consider, especially your furry friends that you take on a walk every day. And uh, here's some tips on that because it's 90 degrees outside right now, so I think it is timely. Um, How do you measure when uh, the pavement is too hot for your dog? Well, you can purchase a handheld thermometer. Also, there's these kind of like a laser gun. You just point it at whatever you want to see what the temp is. Uh, you can lift up your dog's foot and point it at the bottom of their foot and feel what their pads are, what the temperature that is. You can point it at the sidewalk and you can point it at the street and you can see exactly what the temperature is. Another thing you could do is if you don't have access to that and don't want to purchase that, uh, you can just use the back of your hand. Just take, the, take your hand, turn it upside down, and put your knuckles on the ground, either on the sidewalk or on the street, and hold it there for about a minute. And that'll tell you if you'd like to be walking around out there barefooted. Um, and uh, when you talk about temperature, we typically talk about what the feel-like temperature is as opposed to the air temperature. That's really more important. It's just like it is for people. You start having weather restrictions in place when it gets to be 90 degrees. Well, it's 90 degrees right now. But really, anything over 100 degrees is really, really brutal. Now, a lot of times, dogs, when they start to overheat, will start to move slower, just like we do. If you ever go to New Orleans, you see how slow everybody moves in New Orleans. I mean, not even just outside, inside. You go to a little deli someplace and order something, and they'll it takes them forever to walk up to you <laughs> to take your order. And then once you place your order, they slowly move away toward the kitchen. <laughs> But you just, we call it New Orleans time, and you just have to get used to it because that's, that's the way. But it is that way. I lived in Mexico for two years. I've been to El Salvador, uh, El, uh, Honduras, Belize, and everybody south of the equator moves slowly. Well, same is true as dogs. When they start to overheat, they will move slower. And if your dog normally is very rambunctious, likes running around, and you find that they're really breathing heavily and they want to lay down, they start panting with their tongues hanging out. Those are all signs they probably be, need to be moved to a cooler area. Uh, the first thing you do is take them into a cooler location, and a bath would help reduce their temperature. You don't want to use super cold water. That can kind of shock the body. So just a normal room temperature kind of water level to help cool it down, which is not what when you start running stuff out of your garden hose. That water is really cold, especially if you're overheated. If you don't believe it, uh, go out and pour, turn the hose on and put it over your head. And you go, ooh, ooh. So uh, you don't want to shock them with that. Uh, might even have a spray bottle uh, full of water that you can leave out on the patio or someplace in the shade. Squirt that on them to kind of get them used to it being cooled down a little bit and just kind of wet their fur a little bit. Uh, and then bring them back inside. Uh uh, anytime they can get in water, whether it's a swimming pool or a lake, without the algae, those kinds of things will help keep your dogs cool. Obviously, access to cold water is always great. Another thing these, uh, these uh, vets like to tell people is, do, is to take them frozen snacks. So you can uh, freeze things like chicken broth, toss those in your cooler, and then you want to give those to your dogs when it's outside and it's cold. I, I, my dog, my golden retriever, used to love to eat ice. We just, we, they didn't have a flavor to it. It was just cubes of ice, and she'd crunch them up. 
Uh, first and foremost, walking them on pavement or concrete, any surface that's too hot, it's highly recommended that if you do need to be out and about with your dogs, that you're making sure they stay on grassy areas when possible. Also, with double-coated dogs, uh, shepherds and huskies and retrievers, you never want to shave them. The double coat actually helps them regulate their temperature, not only in cold weather, but in hot weather as well. Uh, I know that uh, it's almost like wool if you wear wool clothing. In fact, all the soldiers in World War II, all our American troops, all had wool uniforms. Same thing in the Civil War. All those uniforms were wool, and they wore them in summer and winter. In summer, uh, you'd wear like a T-shirt under your wool clothes, and even baseball uniforms used to be wool, and then they switched to polyester. I, I don't know what they make them out of now because I hadn't had one on in many years. Uh, but I remember when I was a little league, our uniforms were wool, and you'd wear T-shirts underneath. You'd sweat, and it acted kind of as a, as a uh, coolant because it would keep the uh, sweat, and then but it would breathe through the wool, and it actually cooled you down. But uh, think long and hard about uh, what it's like for your dog out there because, uh, uh, you know, the last thing you want is to, your best friend, the one that never says a bad word about you, to, <laughs> to get say, what are you doing to me, man? And, in fact, a lot of times I'll see people out walking their dogs and they're, they're pulling back on the leash going, I want to go back to the house. So if, if you want to go ahead and keep walking, take your dog back to the house and put them inside and you go walk. Uh, but also don't forget to take care of yourself. Hydrate, and uh, if you start feeling a little lightheaded, it's probably time for you to get inside as well. Uh, also, the uh, the uh, most of the city is back online, although I saw two reports. I saw one earlier today from Channel 3 that said there were still 20,000 uh, people without electricity, but then I looked myself, and it was more like 2,000. So I think maybe they transposed the numbers or something. But uh, I'm checking now uh, to see what the latest numbers are. Um, right now we've got 8,207 uh, people affected. That's still a lot of people. Uh, and most of them, uh, this one little area out uh, in Collierville on Macon Road, uh, on, off Houston Levy that's, uh, well, take that back. Uh, this is a new update. Customers affected now, 1,241. That's what I saw earlier, so that must have been left for yesterday. I just pulled it up. Uh, and what the Channel 3 bunch, they put two O's, so I think it was 2,041, and now it's 1,241. And there's only one little cluster in southeastern Collierville that's, uh, and well, then now it's it's green, so that means they're in good shape. Uh, or very few outages. Majority of it is um, in the, inside the loop of Memphis, uh, uh, south of the of the north leg, and then extending down all the way to Mississippi, and back to the southeast. So they're really narrowing it down. And those are the most areas with the most uh, trees, and vegetation is the part. I I was sitting outside early this morning. Um, on my deck, and I heard a big limb breaking and crashing down. So there's a lot of limbs, and be aware of that, that are still up in trees that have not uh, either broken off all the way or did not fall during the, the winds of the other day. And um, they're still subject to falling and, and hurting you or even killing you. So 
make your kids aware of that. Be aware of it for your pets. I just talked to a good friend of mine with the sheriff's office. He lives out in Millington. He had like six or seven trees down, blew down his fence. He said he looked up in the air and he, they were seeing big limbs of trees like uh, eight, 900 feet up in the air. And it wasn't a tornado. They were just, they ca- were caught in these updrafts. And that's how powerful that storm was. That's the, the week ago, uh, Sunday, when we really had the horrible uh, storms that wreaked havoc all over uh, Millington. So uh, that's where we are right now. As far as traffic goes, uh, it's looking pretty good out there. Uh, in fact, we've only got really one accident that I see at this time. All all the other roads around the area are green because I think still a lot of people are out of town. Speaking of that, what's it like at the beach? I'll tell you right after the break. So stay with us. We'll be right back. <laughs> And welcome back on this uh, Thursday, almost Friday afternoon. Uh, there were a couple of wrecks, one at uh, Lamar, Lamara, uh, and uh, Lamar and American Way, so avoid that area, and another one at uh, Kirby Parkway and 385. Uh, otherwise, there's a slowdown on the old uh, bridge, the approach to the old bridge on I-55 coming into Memphis. Slow down there. Otherwise, uh, things are moving very smoothly throughout the community. Uh, the beach, a lot of people are still out of town. That's why there are not that many accidents and the roads are all clear. It's because so many people... If it, the, the, throughout my life, I've discovered, and this was true in Texas too, when it get, the going gets hot, the rich get going, <laughs> which leaves the rest of us here. Uh, in Texas, everybody goes to Colorado, uh, Wyoming, Utah. They go to the high country. Uh, then most of us go to the beach because uh, we all want to go to the beach anytime we can. And it's really not that far. It's you know like about a seven and a half, eight hour drive from Memphis to get to uh, Destin, San Destin area. Even closer if you go to L.A., Lower Alabama, and in Gulfport. Uh, the sand's not as good. The sand at Gulfport's kind of brown. You get over there further into the Panhandle of Florida, and it's all white sand. It's a, some of the best beaches really in the world. And I've been all over the place. Uh, Europe beaches is not that great. Uh, very coarse sand. Uh, even the Bahamas uh, are very coarse. Jamaica, uh, you know, it, 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 you get a good suntan in Jamaica because you're right on the equator. Uh, the beaches uh, off the coast of Honduras are really nice, and Honduras has some of the best scuba diving in the world. Uh, Cayman has really good beaches, and uh, and but uh, as far as for the money and for the proximity, uh, the Destin, Sand Destin, Panama Beach, uh, Fort Walton, you really can't beat it. I have friends of mine from Texas that drive all the way from Texas to come to Destin because that's how good the beaches are. Now, there was a shark sighting at Navarra Beach uh, day before yesterday, and it was a pretty big shark. I saw you could see the dorsal, the tail fin sticking out of the water, swimming right in between people that were further out and people that were closer in. And some people yelled shark and were headed toward the beach, uh, the sand. Other people just kind of watched it go on by. I guess by the time you realize it, you start thinking, well, you know, 
do I draw more attention to myself by splashing and trying to head toward the beach or do I, uh, uh, you know, just remain calm and, uh, don't cause a big stink and, uh, and hope that the, the big old shark, uh, doesn't do anything. I remember when Jaws came out years ago, there were people that didn't go to the beach anywhere for a long time. And it, when you go back and look at it, it still holds up pretty well. I mean, that shark was a shark that they made and then they had the jaws opened and closed. And if you ever got a good look at it, you'd say, well, that's a fake shark. But in the movie, when it's going through the water and they had that, had another boat pulling it. And so it gave it that, uh, appearance of really moving through the water, but it was still well done. The music was outstanding. And, uh, uh I'm looking at a picture of the Navarro beach right now. Uh, I'll hold it up to the camera. I don't know if you can see it. I'm reaching way out. So you can, there you go. And, uh, you can see that little line of, uh, of uh, people in umbrellas. So the beaches aren't that crowded, uh, but there's some wind today. It's kind of overcast. And looking back toward the west, I can see a rain shower moving in. Uh, but I have I got some friends that are down there right now, and they said that uh, the, the, the streets are just extremely crowded, especially if you're going out to try to eat dinner at places like Bochamps, uh, the, the big restaurant that everybody goes to. It's a great restaurant, but... We were there, and I think we waited two and a half hours for a table. They did have a lot to do, though. You got the docks right there. We can go look at the big uh, fishing boats that take people out to go um, big deep sea fishing, and they're coming in about right at dusk. And you can watch them unload their big fish and start to clean them there on the docks. That's kind of I like that. It's kind of interesting. And then they got you can play uh, cornhole. They got those boards set up out there and some sand and. And plus, just being out there, you're in Florida, you're at sunset, and usually not too hot as soon as the sun starts going down. You got a nice breeze. Uh, but not being big on waiting for dinner. When somebody tells me I got two and a half hours to wait, I usually go, not on your life. No, thank you. But I was outvoted by the rest of the tribe, so uh, we usually stood around and waited. But so, what so many people do is they go to Florida, Go to the store in Publix, which is this big grocery store chain there, which is a great store. And they got everything, and it's clean, and they, it's well-stocked. And so people go there, and they buy food, take it back, uh, to, and, which is why you, if you can get a condo where you got a kitchen and everything, it's much better. Uh, and you could cook a lot of meals. Um, we always take spaghetti and meatballs. Kathy makes the uh, meatballs out of veal and with her friend Marsha, and we take uh, that for one night. And, there was somebody that had left the whole week's uh, uh, meals on tape to the refrigerator when we got there. And I went, man, I wish I had been here when they were here. <laughs> Look at this. Steak night, burger night, lasagna night, spaghetti night, uh, shrimp scampi night. Uh, so all that I enjoy. Uh, but it is, uh, here's another p- picture of the beach, another view of Navarro Beach. and A little more crowded there. And so... Uh, they're definitely at the beat, but we're not. We're here and probably staying here. Take a quick break. We'll be right back. Now, back to the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. Once again, Earl Farrell. 
Uh, thank you very much, and uh, welcome back. Uh, 65-year-old man was found dead in Death Valley National Park on Monday amid a relentless heat wave there. Even for Death Valley standards, officials believe extreme heat is to blame for the fatality. Around 10 a.m. local time on July 3rd, a maintenance worker located a vehicle about 30 yards off the road. Upon examining the stray car, the worker noticed the lifeless body within the sedan. The sedan's tracks ran along the road's shoulder and rocky burn before veering further away from the paved road. A press release from the National Park Service wrote the vehicle did not crash but had two flat tires when stopped. The initial investigations suggest that a heat-related illness may have caused the driver to run off the road. And it said, according to AccuWeather meteorologists, the high temperature on Sunday, July 2nd, was 126 degrees Fahrenheit, and temperatures topped 122 degrees uh, on Monday, July 3rd. That's a few notches above the historical average high temperatures of 116 for early July. Between Sunday and Monday overnight, low temperatures didn't drop below 98 degrees compared to historical average of 89. 89 is still too hot at night, even in an arid situation. I grew up in West Texas, and it would uh, it would get up to 100, 110 during the day. But at night, it would get down to the 60s, and you'd, we'd sleep out in the backyard all summer in sleeping bags. And, man, you, you got under that under the covers of the sleeping bag after about uh, 8 or 9 o'clock because it, it got chilly. Uh, but they said the vehicle was found to be operational and was not stuck. However, the air conditioning in the vehicle was not operational. Uh, the driver's window was found down, further indicating that the air conditioning was not functioning when the man was driving. I mean, to go to Death Valley with not with not having an air conditioner, or in this case, uh, not having a full tank of gas. This is a year ago. A 67-year-old David Keller uh, of Huntington Beach, California, died in Death Valley National Park due to extreme heat. During a record-setting June heat wave of, of 2022, his vehicle ran out of gas. A few days later, park visitors found his body about 2.5 miles away from the car. Investigators believe he was walking to get gas in the town of, get this, Furnace Creek. What does that tell you? Uh, and succumbed to extreme heat. The temperature during that time that he was in the park reached 123 degrees. Heat-related deaths are the leading cause of weather-related fatalities in the United States, not just Death Valley. An average of 153 heat-related deaths occur every year, according to a 10-year average from the National Weather Service. So it is nothing to take lightly. Here's another example. On Sunday, a woman died at the Grand Canyon National Park after trying to hike eight miles in triple-digit temperatures. The 57-year-old was found unconscious early Monday morning and pronounced dead at the scene. According to the National Park Service, the temperature in the area the woman was hiking was over 100 degrees. During a recent trip to Big Bend National Park, which I've been to many times in southwestern Texas, a stepfather and his two stepsons found themselves in a serious danger of sweltering heat. The youngest stepson, age 14, fell ill and lost consciousness on the trail. The 31-year-old stepfather left the scene in search of help. The other stepson, 21-year-old, uh, tried to carry the younger male back to the trailhead, but around 7.30 p.m. local time, emergency officials located the younger male deceased along the trail. Roughly 30 minutes later, authorities found the stepfather's vehicle crashed over an embankment, and he was pronounced dead at the scene of the crash. 
According to a press release, temperatures at Big Bend at the time were 119 degrees. At least 13 other deaths in Texas have been blamed on scorching heat wave that started in mid-June, according to the Associated Press. Initial death in Louisiana last week was also confirmed to be heat-related. So it is nothing to trifle with. Uh, it is uh, dangerous and uh, whatever you normally do and you could think you're used to it. Did you go out and you run, jog, walk every day and uh, you, you know what you're doing? You really don't. Now, those kind of temperatures uh, will kill you no matter what kind of shape you're in. So just be aware of that. And then there is this, so we can get off the doom and gloom. Uh, McDonald's launches a $200 wedding package on their historic menu. <laughs> hey, babe, here comes the bride. Get us a deal at McDonald's. I know Kathy would have gone for that deal. Uh, it says, Fast food giant McDonald's announced last month that it's now offering a $200 wedding plan for those who wish to have the Golden Arches cater their big day. <laughs> I'm not laughing at McDonald's. I mean, I, listen, nobody loves a Big Mac more than me. I also like the Quarter Pounder. But according to a post of the company's Indonesian Instagram account, the wedding package includes 100 chicken sandwiches and 100 packs of four-piece chicken nuggets. So this is not in the United States. This is Indonesia. Uh, McDeers, let's make the wedding moment more memorable with the wedding Makata package, reads a post on the official McDonald's Indonesian Instagram account. Available various other exciting packages uh, with a minimum order of 200 pieces. According to the Indonesian corporate communication supervisor, Raziki Haryadi, there are other options aside from the chicken sandwich and nuggets. Uh, we can also provide food stalls at an additional cost. I don't know what a food stall is. The wedding package is not for holding a wedding at a McDee's store, but only for food, such as catering with prices ranging from 235 with a minimum of 200, uh, 200 products. Although currently only available in Indonesia. Oh, wait, here comes this will be some good news. The wedding package may make its way over to the U.S. So you young people out there, Write this one down. Hey, there are a lot of parents that have to pay for these things. They're probably saying 230 bucks to, for the wedding reception. Yeah, I could go over that. Indonesia's brand-new wedding package comes several years after one branch of the fast food company in Hong Kong revealed that they perform marriages inside the store, according to The Sun. The basic happiness party package, which happiness party, I like that. Instead of a happy meal, you got the happiness party. Cost about $382, includes everything from invites, venue, audio equipment, for uh, and food for an extra 127 So there you are. You get, uh, you get a wedding invitation with the Golden Arches on there. You know where you're going. Uh, I, I think it's going to have a, it's gonna be a tougher sell in this country, I'm just afraid. And Gen Z's bans scrolling phones with the index finger. They say that's for the old boomers. How, how else do you scan if you don't use your index finger? Do it with your thumb? Is it thumb? My young producer is nodding his head. Yeah, you old dude. <laughs> don't you know anything? I do notice that my daughter doesn't, she doesn't type stuff out with her index finger on when she's sending text. It's all thumbs. So it's like a little raccoon. <laughs> Looks like she's cracking open muscles on the on the creek side. 
but the infamous, infamous generation that canceled the thumbs up emoji is now going after the index finger. <laughs> I got something else for him. As if Gen Z wasn't spoiling enough of the activities of late, Zoomers are now reportedly refusing to scroll phones with their pointer fingers to avoid looking like old and out-of-touch baby boomers. That's according to a nationwide poll conducted by the makers of the game Candy Crush, who sent out a shred of light on the differences of the ways different generations use their mobile devices. They found that 80% of the generation Zers, those born between 97 and 012, use their thumbs to pursue their smartphones. Uh, this is also the models open operated 85 or 65% millennials, uh, AKA anyone born between 81 and 96. Why are they giving the index finger, the heave ho to distance themselves from baby boomers? IE those born between 1946 and 1964, 73% of whom scroll their phones with their index finger. I mean, only the Zers would have time to even think about that. I don't look around the room and go, uh, hey, why don't you use your thumb? Indeed, four out of ten Zoomers admit that they felt self-conscious scrolling for playing games for their smartphone in public using their index finger. <laughs> they got nothing else to do. Their finger preference is based on a fear of being ridiculed. That was sparked by an uptick in the memes mocking boomers for their method of interfacing with their devices. Several years ago, a picture circulated on Reddit purporting to depict a baby boomer with a smartphone starter pack, which entailed an unlocking the screen overly aggressively and using the index finger for everything like a dinosaur. <laughs> oh, God. A dinosaur. A whopping 61% of the boomers declared that they would never consider ditching their phone-tapping techniques, no matter the amount of social pressure. I would, I would say that's probably a true statement. If there's one thing I've learned about myself and the other boomers, we're now at the stage of our lives where we don't care. <laughs> we just don't care. Meanwhile, 36% of the survey respondents deemed it unfair to mock boomers, scrollers, swiping habits via online memes. Unfortunately, Generation Y seems more susceptible to ridicule. According to the survey, 41% of millennials claim that they'd be open to switching up their scrolling methods, indicating that this, this author's generation is essentially Switzerland in the great phone use debate. It's out of a neutral area, if you will. Perhaps our malleability it was inspired by our prior ridicule for the hands of Gen Z, who've infamously mocked everything from our alleged penchant for drinking pumpkin spice lattes. I guess they don't like that either. Ooh, you're drinking pumpkin spice lattes? They probably don't go to coffee places. I mean, is that out for the new Gen Zers? They don't go to the Starbucks? Yeah. Uh, the cultural content in which each generation grew up, including broader uh, social, social uh, expectations. Technological process, in particular, often occurs rapidly, leading to vast generational differences. As a result, younger generations' digital uh, habits have grown up in a world of global connectivity and technically tech, high-tech integrated living, leaning towards more intuitive scrolling style based on the size of their handheld devices, and a passing scrolling attitude. What they don't understand is we didn't have anything like this when we were growing up. And we had pinball machines at, at the local hangout. 
<laughs> and if you leaned against the legs of the pinball machine, it would tilt and it, the whole thing would shut down and you had to start all over. You lost your quarter. So you never want to do that. I remember somebody was talking the other day about all these people that uh, play uh, uh, video games and how that that's part of the reason there's so much violence and stuff out there. The last video game I played was Pac-Man. <laughs> and, I, and I haven't missed it, and I haven't missed any of the rest of it. Everybody talks about, you know, Warzone, uh, Grand Theft Auto, um, all those things, uh, the, the even the football uh, games and stuff. I hadn't played any of them. Man. For years, I did uh, morning TV and afternoon radio, so by the time I got there, I started off at 3.30 in the morning and I got through at home about 6.30 at night. And and Kathy would say, you want to go play some video games? <laughs> I go, no, I'm eating and going to bed. So I think that's part of it. The young people have a lot more time in their hands. Speaking of time, we got to take a break. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. And welcome back. Uh, driving to Texas and back, we were listening to XM Radio because you can just tune it on one channel and it doesn't go away over every hill. And there's this new channel out. It's called Yacht Rock. Like a yacht, Y-A-H-A-C-T. And uh, it plays all these songs from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. I mean, there are songs out there. If you listen to some of the oldies stations here in Memphis, and they, they they play the same oldies all the time. You never get to hear any of the songs you have. And it was so refreshing to hear songs I literally probably have not heard since they came out in the 60s. And uh, and, and Kathy and I were driving down the road singing along to, and we knew all the words to all of them. Try that uh, at a contemporary radio station, driving down the road and sing all the words. Uh, we go to the live at the garden to all the shows coming out there. And very few of the songs that I sing along with. I just kind of go, I've never heard this before. Uh, but, uh, it was really a lot of fun. I, uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. It was, uh, so you, if you've got, uh, XM radio, just look it up. A yacht rock it actually started out as a, a joke from some comedian was saying that, you know, I don't know why they called it yacht rock, but, um, until they got some guy that sounds like Thurston Hill, uh, Thurston Hall the Third. Yes, Scooby, let's listen to the yacht rock. Uh, and uh, but the the music's good and it's entertaining and uh, and I liked it. Uh, this was interesting, you know, with everything being uh, so politically correct these days. New Orleans Museum of Art has sparked outrage over the decision to hire a white woman as its new creator of African art, citing her breadth of experience in the field rather than a person of color. Uh, new Orleans um, Museum of Art announced Instagram last Friday that Amanda M. Maples landed the role as a curator of the African art collection, which the museum said is considered among one of the most important in the United States. The appointment raised eyebrows for, from critics on the social media platform with many wondering why the museum was unable to find a person of African descent to fill the position. No offense at all, and congrats to her. She seems to be qualified given the brief history you have provided, but are there no African, black, or POC that can uh, oversee people of color, 
oversee endeavors like this at uh, the New Orleans uh, Museum of Art. Uh, said user Sarah Joy Caminati. The efforts to showcase African history becomes very watered down and dampened when the very person appointed to oversee them isn't at least a person of color. See, that's that's like saying you you can't have somebody uh, act as a uh, a murderer in a, in a movie or a play unless they're actually a murderer, or that uh, somebody who um, has studied art, loves art, and and is the curator of, say, Le Bonheur, which has a great art there. And uh, most of the art there, although not all of it by any means, is uh, of, of uh, a variety of different individuals. But if you're not uh, a, a, you know, a person who was born in the, in, in the South, because that's where most of this art comes from that's at Le Bonheur, then you couldn't be a very good judge of it. I think people who have a talent for, for seeing art and appreciating art, that's a talent like anything else. And just because you're one race or another doesn't mean you have any more talent than anybody else. I think that's a God-given gift like everything else. So I'm throwing that one out. It's out. Uh, we can take a quick break, and then we're coming back. Paul Shanklin's going to be here and talk about the origins of Tennessee barbecue. He has close ties. We'll talk about it. He grew up in the oil fields of West Texas. He's been all over the Western Hemisphere, a radio and TV veteran, former restaurateur, and a cowboy at heart. He's Earl Farrell, and he calls Memphis home because Memphis is cool. This is the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. And now, here's your host, Earl Farrell. And thank you very much, and welcome back. Uh, joining me in the studio right now is my good friend Paul Shanklin, who uh, sent me this thing the other day, and, and it was about this. Uh, it was an ad. It was like a, a graphic for a, a, a hog. Was it a hog? Yeah, it's a Berkshire. Pig? It's a Berkshire Berk hog. hog. Yeah, which was a very specific kind of hog. And I put in the promo that he actually invented Tennessee uh, barbecue, but you say that's not true. <laughs> that is not true. No, well, he, well, that's uh, the first time I've ever misled the, the public. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I just said, well, his, it, you know, uh, Marcellus Alfonso Shanklin, which doesn't seem to go together because no, it doesn't. And uh, kind of French uh, no, or Italian, 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 Italian? Yeah, it'd be Italian. Apparently, Italian romance novels were the thing in the late 1800s. I always liked uh, the name Marcellus. Marcellus. Yeah. Remember in um, the uh, the movie that uh, John Travolta was in, um, oh, it, Greece. No, the, the one there was the the bad mafia or the bad oh. criminal's name was Marsalis, <laughs> and uh, John Travolta was was a hit guy, right? And he, oh, I know, yeah. Uh, yeah. What is? I'll think of it in a second, but uh, he told him to take out Marsalis' girlfriend. Sure, a good time, but don't do anything else or he'll kill you. <laughs> And the whole movie was about this. Have what a bad guy this Marsalis was. Well, uh, Marsalis was a good fella. Uh, was uh, just just a real active kind of kind of guy, and he would ship Berkshire hogs from this nowhere of Latham, Tennessee, all over the country. And uh, Berkshire, I found out from a friend of mine who uh, said is a is, is a lard hog. That's why that picture that uh, got tiny little feet and then a, lots of lard everywhere. And uh, uh, it, that was like the return label, and my cousin found it in a in a in a box that his brother had kept, 
and uh, they were they were cleaning out the house and and found and found that and uh, so my son wants to make a t-shirt <laughs> with it. <on> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, idea. it's cool. Yeah. So we got to get a good scan of it, and he's got a label for me. But that was a return label. If these hogs aren't claimed in ten days, return you know to to this address. So um, uh, he he did all kinds of stuff. He had uh, they they had a, an inkling that the uh, the scales at the cotton gin weren't quite right. Yeah. Or at the tobacco sale, they weren't quite right. So he 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 got a a set of professional scales installed at his farm and, and then he weighed them first and there. he weighed he he offered neighbors you could you could either pay in to be able to weigh anything you wanted whenever you wanted for free or you had to pay you know a dollar or 50 cents or whatever to to weigh your wagon and all of a sudden the scales at the uh, sale started getting more accurate over the over funny the, how a yeah. little, little accuracy will. Uh, yeah, everybody knew they were getting ripped off. But they, but they didn't have, didn't have a solution. He he was a he was a solution kind of guy, and uh, had a f- house in the middle of nowhere that he changed it uh, to different styles as the years went by. It, it went from a farmhouse to a craftsman style house because he liked the size. He was in his fifties and nobody could see this house from the road, but he liked. He liked the craftsman style that came in in the 20s, 30s, you know, the, the rounded ornate edges. And things. And ornate. Yeah. He went and changed everything himself. He was a carpenter. and would, Well, you uh, got some of that from him. Yeah, he just kind of did it all, and my uncles were much the same way. Some were really good in metal. Some were carpenters. And But, you know, in those days— My dad pe- was a veterinarian. That doesn't make a lot of sense. People but. all had talents uh, that, that were very usable. As opposed to today where people have electronics oh, or something. Well, they try to hire somebody. You know— you're out in the and middle of nowhere. Was, yeah. If the the only thing that people would do on a farm, they'd trade work. So if you had a crop coming in, well, you actually helped your neighbor. You'd help the neighbor, and, and they'd then help he you. would help you. And, and they brought their tractors, their combines, right, right. So, and you got it done a lot faster. Got a lot faster, and 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 when people had trouble, you know, people get you know rally around and there help. was no insurance, right? So if your barn burned down, your barn burned down. But oh. what it would happen is the whole community would get together and raise another barn for right. You. Right, because the labor was the thing. I mean, they had the material. Yeah, they could. And what they trees, would bring they, over, trees they could get. <laughs> and then they would bring over a, a, poor, a sawmill, re, re-erect it there on the side, right. and, and cut the wood to build a barn in like a week. Well, there was a man that helped my Uncle Calvin, and I don't think he ever got paid anything. He, he had a small farm, and my uncle would plant it and harvest it. But Mr. Arnold just liked farming. He would hang out. He was in his 70s, and he would hang out with my uncle and, uh, and work. That's what he enjoyed. Maybe it was just getting out of the house and away from the missus. I'm not sure. But he enjoyed work. But see, the thing is, I think all those traits uh, that were handed down to us from our ancestors are still within us. That's why I do not give up hope on the United States and what we're going through now. Because I, th- I think down deep, everybody's going, you know, I've had just about enough. Right. I know my grandfather uh, was a big Texas rancher. and. It was back in the days where there were some of these little towns in Texas that had signs outside town that would say, if you're black, don't be here after dark. Right, yeah. And, uh, some of he, that here, too. Yeah, well, it was everywhere. And my grandfather had some black folks who were working for him, and they took a wagon, mule wagon, and, uh, into town to take some material and to put on the train. And uh, they were, was close to dust. They were giving him a bunch of grief about being there. You better get out of town. And they came back to the ranch and told my grandfather he got in his Ford uh, uh, pickup truck at the time. 
and I actually it was a, it was a, a roadster with a canvas top. Right. And he goes drives back into the town and stands on the hood of the car and fires off a couple of rounds in the middle, Main Street. And everybody came out of the bills. He goes, he said, my name is Bayless Farrell, and anybody gives my employees any problem, I don't care who they are, you're doing it to me. And I will come back, and I will not be easy on you. I have skills. I, and I just demonstrated. I was shooting at the sky, but I'm much better. And I can hit you just as well. But the thing is, uh, there wasn't really any law. You, you were the law. Right. Well, you, you got what you put up with. And that's actually what my father-in-law said when we were raising kids, is you're going to get what you put up yeah. with. Well, that's you're not going to get what you want. You're going to get what you put up with. Yeah, and once you reach mm-hmm. the end of the putting up. That's right. That's and what... Angie's been good ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Angie, are you listening? No, she's li- yeah, hey, she's listening. She's gonna, I'll get him later for that <laughs> one. Well, my dad, he came down here. He didn't quite know the rules. And uh, Walter that worked for him, he was a groomer. Uh, uh, was a black man. And uh, uh, he didn't have a good car to go out of town. And daddy said, well, here, take the station take my, wagon. Yeah. Take the station wagon, and people came to him and said, "You shouldn't. You know, you really shouldn't do that. We just we don't think that's a good idea. You, how you're going to look? You know." He said, "It's my car," and that was the end of it. And uh, so, what was the reason that that if you started that kind of thing, then other yeah, people? Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, he was from. I said they were there were where he was from. There were black people, and they again traded work. But they you know they the, had it was more of a community. And he came to Memphis, and he was like, kind of stunned how things were here. This is the this is the mid fifties. Yeah, well, that, this was uh, in the thirties. Yeah, that, that, it was even that. worse. Uh, so, but the thing so, was, you know, there were people that uh, didn't that that treated everybody good and uh, were very uh, helpful. I mean, everybody helped the, the people that worked for them. I right. Mean, uh, the people that worked at the ranch worked their whole lives there. Right. And, and that's uh, the thing. It was hard to get started in, in a in a farm. You couldn't get loans and no, all the rest. And, and when you got old, you couldn't work anymore. They still lived in the house, and they still uh, gave you money every month because there was no at that time. There was no Social Security. Right. There wasn't anything. And well, so, you did you did stuff on the place, whatever it was you could do, and yeah. that's you know that, that's kind of how uh, all the old folks stayed at the at the house mm-hmm. uh, and and cooked. If it was the, the women would cook or whatever, and you'd have two, three generations at the house. Well, don't you remember in the little rascals or the older guys were always going, are they going to send me to the old folks home? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. the kid, they'd have us go out and raise money for them so they didn't have to go. Yeah, to the you didn't want place. to go to the county home. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. That was everybody's image was the county home. <laughs> well, they, the, uh, uh, yeah, M.A. was, uh, he, he never went by the name Mars. Nobody called him Marcellus. It was just Mr. Sellis or M.A. Nobody called him Marcellus Alfonso, but he, he did uh, just a, he was the uh, coroner, basically. He filled out the death certificate when people died in that part of his county. He was responsible to find out, you know, so what So was happened. he like the constable? No, it was, it was, no, but he did have, there was one time that somebody, tell. somebody had, uh, old man was pretty tough on his boys, and uh, one was digging a hole. He was in his fifties. Oh, he's really old man. But he was, if he didn't like what the kid was doing, he'd hit him with a stick, you know? So his son's digging ditch or something. He didn't like it, what it was. And he was wailing him with a stick. Well, his son turned around and hit him with a shovel. Killed him. Well, not instantly. (laughs) So, so, uh, they, they had, so MA called out the sheriff, you know, he, he needed to kind of report that. And they, after he, about three days he died and, and, uh, 
um, everybody knew the old man was just a jerk. And uh, they liked the son, apparently, because the sheriff's turned to M.A. and said, well, put down he died of a stroke. <laughs> a stroke of the shovel. And, uh, and that's what my, my uh, Mr. Uh, Pappy, Pappy was telling my, my uncle this. He said, yeah, a stroke of a shovel. <laughs> and just, uh, but he, he, so if you, if you get uh, in the Weekly County area up in the North uh, District, that was his, his, his. Uh, Bailiwick. Bailiwick, and so between that and paying teachers out in the middle of nowhere because they couldn't get wagons yeah. or anything up there to pay them, he would pay for the county. He he kept records. We've got the checkbook where he'd write out checks to the teachers and uh, give them a grade, I guess. I don't know. But he well, just had all kinds of things going all at the, the same time. It was interesting, too, because the, there would be one or two people like that in the community, sort of like Babe Howard was up in Millington. Right. He owned the, the, the cable company, the telegraph company. The uh, he owned everything. The dirt up under their houses. And the the ball field. Uh, my my great uncle, Uncle Bayless. Uh, he was a had the bank, the Ford dealership, and uh, you know two or three other big companies there in Waco. And when he saw what was coming, the depression. That's when they went and bought a part of the original land grant that was in our family. He went and bought five thousand acres a bit back because he said we're going to have to survive this and we need land to do it to do it right and uh, that's how the people survived if you had land you could raise goats chickens uh, right and they, they make it out all right if you didn't owe money you made out okay yeah i mean you you, you weren't gonna you weren't gonna die if you were in the city that's the people who had moved to the city uh, before the depression awful no jobs nothing and nothing going that's where the bread lines were the yeah. soup lines yeah and that it wasn't was a, my mother grew up during the Depression, and she she said, you know, we just really didn't know what was going on. Of course, she was born in 28, and my dad was born in 29. So they grew up right in it, you know, and things only got better until, of course, World War II made them even better. So uh, there was plenty to do at that point. But I think families were very tight-knit, and then, which is why when you look at the Biden family, right, you say to yourself, well, that's just a tradition, yeah. you know. <laughs> It is a tradition in the Bidens, as we know the word Biden means. Yeah, yeah, there's scoff law. Um, yes, my word is Biden. Um, yeah, I was, yeah, this this whole thing with the cocaine, I think he was trying to turn, it, it was more innocent than we think. I think he was trying to turn Pepsi-Cola into Coca-Cola. <laughs> with some success. Well, we're going to talk about original that recipe. in the next segment. Paul Shanklin's here with us. Recipe. And uh, <laughs> 10, 2, and 4. <laughs> well now it's, it's, it's coming out that it, that it was actually found close to the situation room yeah that's what not they, in this little cubby hole of where the people check in before yeah, they come apparently in. there's some situation yeah and and as I, well they talk about visitors and there's like i've been, i'll tell you a story when we come back i'm gonna tell you a visitor story that happened right before 9-11 when matthew and i went there all right paul shanklin's with us we'll be right back <laughs> And welcome back uh, on this lovely day. We got Paul Shanklin in house. You know, I'll tell and, you my tell you my White House story. Uh, yeah, dude, because there's a White House story. You see, that's uh, Jill Biden, and yeah. then right behind her is it's like Granny Clampett. Yeah, well, she's <laughs> kind of there, but right behind her is uh, Hunter, 
Hunter ducked behind her, and he was acting very erratic on the balcony <laughs> on the 4th of July. And then he ducks behind her, and it looks like he's finishing up snorting something right behind That's her. That's the, the I can't believe I'm here look as yeah. far on her. She said, no, it looks perturbed that he's, you, I can't believe you're doing this on the balcony of the White House. And, How could you? How could you? So go tell us your, your visit story. So we're, uh, I took Matthew before school, so it was in, it was in August, right before 9-11. And we went to the White House for a tour, and uh, it was on its birthday of some kind. It was like the birthday of the White House, and they had cake outside when we got out, which was a thrill for him. Well, we're in there, and going through the normal, you know, White House tour, and we had to, you know, we had to get tickets from the congressman and all that. And the guys, the docents, taking us through and on here, and then whoever ate here, and this is the blue room, and then, then all of a sudden. He stopped and said, why did you close that door? All of a sudden, he turned in to the Secret Service agent yeah, yeah. that he was. You didn't think he was a Secret Service agent. You thought, thought he was, he was like a, a guide. <laughs> no, he was a Secret Service agent. One of the people closed the doors to the other room. He just, you know, was just some doofus. And they started questioning him like a state trooper at a, at a, a drunk driver stop, you know. What's your name? Where are you from? Where are you, you know, just a, it was a, it was like a rat-a-tat-tat of questions. And why did you do that? And it's like, he noticed there's not a lot goes on. And, you know, I thought, uh, let's all step back and hopefully if there's anything going to happen, but it was like, they were ready for anything. anything. And, and, and other guys came into the room. I mean, it was all, all of a sudden we were like, yeah, they're there. Holy smoke. And they're listening. And they're listening and they're paying attention. And and so all he did was just close the door, you know, because they have like six doors to the same room and that door moves and this guy turns into the, I mean, 800-pound uh, gorilla Secret Service agent out of nowhere asking questions and everybody's, you know, kind of moving away from it. And so I know they, they, it's not like you walk in there and nobody's paying attention to anything you're doing. Uh, and they were in the West Wing, which is that's the uh, this movie where the office that's the business part of the place. It's yeah. not the visitor center like we went to. I don't think. And this is well, we didn't have a cubby hole or no. any of that. And you weren't putting your cell phones in there. That's for people no. who are getting ready to go into the executive office. Right. Because right. you could take your cell phone into the White House on the tour. They right. weren't making you drop that at no, the door. No. Uh, but how many different. years ago was this? This was right before nine eleven. Well, so a lot is, changed. Yeah, and I'm sure and, it's I'm sure it's probably, tighter than that now. Did, did you go through metal detectors or anything then? Yeah, I think we went through a metal detector, and and uh, they had you know the, they had the uniformed guys, and then we think we're just with the docents. You know, oh, these are the like you know volunteer tour guide, and they're really interested in history, and you know. Uh, <laughs> It was a strange situation. Well, listen to this. I looked this up today and just on how secure is the White House as far as surveillance goes. And it says the White House is one of the most secure and heavily monitored buildings in the world with a variety of surveillance measures in place to ensure the safety of the president, the first family. As a result, it is likely that all rooms, all rooms in the White House have some form of surveillance, whether through cameras, microphones, or other types of monitoring devices. However, for security reasons, the specific details of the White House surveillance systems are not publicly disclosed. Additionally, some areas of the White House may be designated as classified or restricted, meaning that even if they do not have cameras or other surveillance measures, they would still be 
off limits to the public and other unauthorized individuals. And I think that's what you're talking right, about. Right, right. We couldn't just walk around. I mean, we had we were with our group. There were people behind us. Yeah. There were people all around, you know, again, that's where these agents came from. They were in the room behind us. There was nobody who was able to straggle or anything else. And they were agents, not docents. And it says, uh, in general, it is safe to assume that most areas of the White House, including private living quarters, offices, and meeting rooms, are under some form of surveillance, either for security purposes or for historical recording keeping. I just don't, I think that they know exactly who dropped this off. I, I don't think they're, they're, they're the saying. The fact that they're delaying it. Anytime yeah. there's bad news in politics. bad. They're going to delay it as long as humanly possible. Don't you think it's kind of surprising that it was even revealed in the first place? I mean, this is the Secret Service. But is well, the they had to call. They, they called Hazmat, which is outside the Secret. Yeah. It's like the local fire department, yeah. and that's where. And and some reporter maybe that's picked it up. It, they picked it up they on. Picked they it picked it up on the radio. Hazmat to the White House. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's how they knew that you know, like it was, and and it was. A foreign paper, I believe. Daily Mail, I think. Well, we're going to talk more about it because this thing ain't going away. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Now, back to the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. Once again, Earl Farrell. And thank you very much, and welcome back. Uh, in studio with me today, Paul Shanklin and his bodyguard. She doesn't really leave the, the outer counties without your bodyguard. No, no. no I don't not, blame you. Not really. Well, Especially coming into the She numbers. actually shoots better than I do, yeah. under, under know, pressure. Under it's pressure. Absolutely, absolutely proven that women, uh, right off the bat, are incredible, accurate uh, pistol shots. Yeah. And do you know why? Because they want to. <laughs> it's because... <laughs> They're thinking of their husband. Every, if you look at because <laughs> even my daughter was this way, when they, starting as little girls, when they talk to you, they point right at you and oh, they yeah. say, you listen to me. <laughs> that's probably and true. Uh, and that's really all they're doing. Let is me tell you they're something. They're pointing that finger. Let at me you. tell you something. Well, and hitting bullseyes from the very beginning. The guy that trained uh, police here way back in the 70s taught me how to shoot double action pistol. And uh, so it's it's more of a natural thing for me to shoot anything double action rather than single action. Cause that's well, the way explain the what shoot. double action is versus where you ha- when, when you pull the trigger, you're operating the, the uh, hammer you know, moving the hammer back and, uh, and then it'll fall at some point, yeah. some point in the motion. It's more of a, it's more of, it's, it's, uh, more like throwing a baseball instead of just dropping it out of your hand. Whereas a semi-automatic is, is well, single s- because well, what it does is when you fire not necessarily. it, well, you have to pull the slide back. Yeah. You got, once pull you've done that, then when you shoot it again, the slide automatically cuts back and inserts another round into the chamber. And it goes back to single action. However, uh, I like double action semi-automatic pistols because that way, if a round doesn't go off, you don't have to remove to, it. To, to I just rack keep, it out. I just keep hitting it. <laughs> I mean, you keep hitting the primer. I'm just well, saying, you keep it. hitting the primer, yeah. and it'll go off the second time. I bought some cheap ammunition, and uh, don't do that and, anymore. Uh, do you? <laughs> no, it was some something I got at a gun show. It was some guy out of. Uh, I did it myself. Show. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was one of those, but it you know, and it was firing like every other one, but it fired all of them. But the primers were were not going off. I yeah. think this. I think they didn't the, size the. What brass. they did is they didn't. It wasn't placed correctly. Yeah, and that yeah. that probably that too. 
I still got some left. We should all, <laughs> yeah. all take a look. Well, we call it. Uh, well, it would be that because it wouldn't. Because yeah, it, 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 the first would drive it down to the case, then and then it would go off. Next one would go off. Well, he he. He's not going to last long in business, but and I hope no police fact, bond. You're not, you're not buying from him, and no, your no, dog and your no. dog and him now. So. No, no, yeah, oh, absolutely. You're just going to reveal it as I would you. I yes. mean, if you were reloading and every other guy. every other round didn't go off, good guy. It was that bad. Don't buy reloaded was, ammunition. No, and I was I was just you know how you're at the gun show and you got to buy something. Well, yeah. that was the is that or an umbrella? You know that said you know. I always end up buying like some kind of samurai sword. You yeah, know? my wife said, "What did you get that for?" Uh, you carve apples <laughs> to go to, to be to go with my other samurai swords i bought at the last gun show i got a special hatchet yeah. to uh has emergency hatchet. do some yard work it's emergency hatchet yeah. just in case you know um let's go back to the white house and and hunter and because we're here am i getting you off now. subject no <laughs> but my job is to get us back on that's right no matter okay, where you okay, take okay. It. yeah is that um, get there uh not that I think he specifically had anything to do with this because they were out of town uh, at Camp David. Uh, well, you got the laughing hyena vice president who must be on something because nobody's that dumb. Just uh, nobody's so that gonna, dumb and without you know help. Without think help. Think about this. I've often wondered how they're going to get rid of her, you know, because they don't want her. So they put her name on the back. <laughs> well, uh, they, they said that the, the Secret Service is looking for fingerprints and, and uh, DNA. All they get to do is say, could you hold this bag of sugar for me for a moment? <laughs> Thank you. We you, got her. <laughs> I want some sweet and low. Oh, try this. No, I want sweet and low. And I then, just want you to touch it. Thank you. And, and then what they'll out. do to her is they'll come to her and they'll say, you know what? Uh, we're not going to turn you in, but we want you to resign because you, you feel like you just haven't done a good enough job. We'll give, you, we'll give it back to you if you'll and, resign. And then you know who they're going to appoint the vice president? You're thinking it's going to be Gavin Newsom. Oh, Gavin Newsom, or well, they say Michelle Obama. No. What you going to say? That was Michelle doesn't want to go to work. No, I don't think so either. I mean, the only person who wants to work less than Joe Biden is Michelle Obama. <laughs> I mean, she didn't even go to all the trips that Obama went on. Right, especially the last one. That was weird. Do you remember where he went immediately after he left? Oh, the he White went House? to the islands, Marlon Brando's old island. He Pacific. went with the ambassador to Italy. To those and islands. his husband. Yeah. Just the three of them. Yeah. And they went to this, this circle, of, circle of, it's this island that Marlon Brando used to own. And they all had I these. I thought that little, was Marlon Brando. Well, but yeah. uh, he was a strange duck himself. Oh, yeah. And the older he got, the stranger he yeah, got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think he was strange? <laughs> think he was strange. And yeah. mutiny on the bounty. Wait, yeah. <laughs> wait till he got to, what was it, uh, the one? Uh, Godfather and then no. uh, then uh, the the one Vietnam ma- flick. Well, Vietnam the one. Flick. Well, Apocalypse Now. Yeah, that was that was weird. Then the one that was done in France, where he he in some, oh, that was really bad. I, that I haven't seen. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. believe you, I didn't do that. <laughs> anyway, so Obama goes with all these guys to this island. He said they're going. What's up with that? Yeah, Michelle goes. I'll just stay here. Yeah. What's up with that? <laughs> that was that was weird. And uh, but. It is, it would be, because I'm trying to figure out why they even brought it up. But you pointed out right before the break that they had, they called Hazmat in. That's how a reporter found out about it. Yeah, it was like the Daily Mail was listening on, you know, like the police scanner. Yeah. And this thing pops up, White House got a Hazmat incident. They said library is what. uh, They were saying uh, it first. Yeah. And. Is that that a double for the bathroom though? Because, you know, a lot of people call the bathroom the library. Really? I'm in the bathroom. The library. (laughs) The reading room. I don't know. I don't know. I'm in the reading room. 
I, I always say it's the uh, uh, the executive office, but uh, or I, my satellite I, office. I do know that they don't want, they don't want Joe to run, but they don't they don't know who to at this point. How do you swap everybody out? And here's the escape plan: they pin this on Kamala, Harris, Kamala, okay, and they get her to resign. They move Newsom in. And then Joe goes. All right, all right, I'm, all right. I'm I'm not gonna run. I'm 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 feeling my age, and plus my son's a he's got he's in a real crack, and we've made enough money from our from our bribery. You're assuming stuff. his wife will let him quit. I think she's the one who made him run in the first place. I think place. you're right. I yeah. mean, what she really she loves likes him. being she, Queen Bee. Plus, they she's had, a doctor. She ought to know all these she, signs. She hadn't made enough money uh, up to that point just off his bribery after being vice president. No, she wants. So more. if we get back in office, we can really do some damage. The only thing is, is they're 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 basically at this point running for the county line. There, if he <laughs> if he can if he can run and as long as he's running. Nobody, even in his party, will, is, will go do, after him. Yeah. I think they'll drop him like a bad habit. If he wasn't running, they'd be all over. But they can't thing. drop him down because if he and too then, late. Not that they're going to kick him out of office. No, no, but I don't mean that. I'm just as saying the, as the candidate, they would let. They would let. Again, you know, in Washington, it's like I'll protect you as long as it helps me. As soon as it doesn't help me, then you're out. I will turn on you in a and heartbeat. go. You know, I wasn't with him. Yeah. And I think that thing in, in, in Burisma was terrible. We need to investigate it. That It, it turned like that for Nixon. But At some point, you're a liability for everybody else. Well, it happened to Spiro Agnew. Yeah, yeah. And see, that's what they got Spiro's and stuff. Let him resign. Right. Replace him with who? Gerald Ford. Gerald Ford. Yeah. And then Talk about tripping over sandbags. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> Chevy Chase made a career out of that guy. <laughs> And uh, so then, Let me get on the plane. It, and this and their biggest fear is if Kamala isn't the stay on as the vice president, they, he gets elected, or if he resigns from the thing, then they, then she would be the candidate for running for president. Right. Well, she's gonna if she if she was if they did put up or shut up, she'll say she'll say let me look look in my purse and see how many race cards I have. <laughs> Left, yeah, but and I'm sure she'll pull one because she did it to him in the you know in the debates. She was oh, like, "Oh, I was that girl on the bus," and and he's like, why she still keeps talking Canada, about the yellow, everybody Canada. Loves yellow school buses." And there. I was at the back of the school bus, and and it's just just put it to uh, Joe Biden in a big way at the debates, and he that's why he chose her, I think. I'm gonna make you no, pay. No, I don't think he. Re- I'm gonna I make think, you pay. <laughs> I don't think he remembered what happened during the debate. I'm sure. I'm sure his wife did. Somebody did. Yeah. Uh, but the other, their scenario could be that it's Joe's, and the reason it's Joe's is because you notice how sometimes he's just like. <sighs> and the other day he's just okay. Got any more questions? Anybody want to? Let's answer some hard questions today. <laughs> I'm up think, for anything. I mean, if you gave him cocaine, he would just instantly die i mean he's he's so frail i have a friend who's 86 years old he said i walk better than joe does well it is it is he said he looks like he learned how to he's either learning how to walk or he forgot (laughs) i was watching the uh autobiography of jane Pittman early this morning oh yeah um and cool movie and uh the the woman that played her which she also didn't uh, played uh Cicely Tyson, right? In uh, uh, wasn't old yeller, but uh, holler uh, had the dog. Uh, Sounder, 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 yeah, that's great. One of my yeah. favorite movies. 
But in this, she plays this uh, this 101-year-old, I think she's She's recounting her life. Yeah, and at the very end, that's when I tuned in. She was walking down the street. I said, that's Joe Biden. Yeah. Taking those little bitty steps, kind of shuffling along. Got that neck stuck out like that's your lead. That's right. I'm coming. Follow, follow you. And then head. he does that little trot where he tries to look young. Yeah, it's like, I got to yeah. show him the trot. Show him there the we trot. go. There we go. Oh, one foot in front of the other. The just Secret like Service a They go, slow down, Joe. <laughs> Joe, we're back here. My favorite scene is that one where they're coming back to the White House. I forget the Air Force One. He's got his briefcase. He walks by all the doors and they're going, okay, <laughs> stop him, boys. Stop him. <laughs> <laughs> hurt him to the right. Oh, hurt him to the right. Oh, move along, move along, move along. Yeah, that's just. Thing is, it 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 happens to everybody. Eventually, we're all going to be there if you live long enough. Uh, I, I don't want to live not, long. You're wanna, not the president of the United States. Yeah, he used to think, oh, living a long time be great, and then he's going, actually, I I don't want to live so long that I become re- ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and I might have reached that point already. Well. But but uh, we always show but the thing flashes where of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, you've they, heard a flash of genius. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just like yeah, you're going reliving whatever, telling stories. Yeah, Kathy's. I pro- she's promised to tell me, and she tells me now when we're at, at, at the, the table at dinner with people, and I'm starting to tell a story. Well, that reminds me of a story, and I feel her grab my leg, and I you, went, "You told it." I just forgot that story. <laughs> That is the wrong, this is the wrong place for that story. That's And and I've done that many times. Yeah. Yeah. That's. uh, There's not a right place. Inappropriate. She goes, that's a campfire story when you're camping out with the boys. Well, I, I, there, (laughs) the times that I've held back when something was really, a really just the right moment, uh, just, you know, humor's timing as much as it is anything. And it's like, and I've backed off. Whenever I've backed off, I've always felt bad that, you man, that was a perfect time. Because it was an opening. It was an opening. And, it was, and you knew the perfect, the timing was perfect for you. Yeah. And then you go, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. That's when some of the I've only had that happen like once. So. But Johnny Carson would have it happen and he'd go, oh, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what they're paying and, him for. And, so he, and he would get sued and he'd go, I know we're going to get sued over this one, but <laughs> it's going to be worth it. Oh, yeah. And that's Dolly Parton with Dolly. Yeah. And then Arnold Palmer's wife. And she yeah. was on. Arnold Palmer's <laughs> wife was like the, <laughs> the perfect. The, and, it was the perfect. And then uh, he, he would just look at the audience. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And it, uh, or he didn't, sometimes he didn't say, of course, say anything. He was just yeah. like, he just, to, he just turned his he head sideways. Like, to go. like, like, do I go, do I say what everybody's saying? the audience is going, do it, do, do it. it. <laughs> That's what we drove all the way from Texas for. This will make Say history. It. Say it. Nobody uh, likes a careful comedian. We got to take a break. We got Paul Shanklin here. We'll come back and um, and we'll uh, have something really ridiculous to say when we get back. Oh, we got time. It's your turn too. Okay, yeah. We'll be back. And welcome back. I was telling uh, Sultan of Swing. The Sultan of Swing. I was telling the Shanklins uh, the sunglasses story about coming back from Texas, and my wife uh, lost her sunglasses um, after we how stopped. How could it. she? How could she? That's what yeah, I said. I mean, how do, you, how do you lose a pair of sunglasses? I mean, she said she put them right there on the console. And I said, well, I got my glasses. I said, how come you can't find yours? And it, it turns out we, we I looked at everything. She Finally gets out of the car, and I've got the window down. She looks at me and goes, you owe me an apology. I said, for what? 
She said, look at the rearview mirror. And I looked at the rearview mirror. I'm wearing her sunglasses. <laughs> In addition to yours. <laughs> and mine are on my head. And I said, I don't owe you an apology. You owe me a thank you. I just found your sunglasses. <laughs> but those. The joys but, of marriage. Yeah, that that is now uh, called the sunglasses story. You know how yeah. you've always got the stories that you have throughout life and. That's why I tell people you have to stay married long enough to have some really good stories. Well, that's what you're keeps gonna, you going. You're, yeah, you're going to have great stories. and Because and, uh, otherwise what you have to say is, well, she's gone now. But here's the funniest story that happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, we have, we have lots of stories. And uh, some we can tell. And, uh, and then there's the others. And but, then there's some that I deny. Yeah, exactly. There's those two. <laughs> and uh, what, almost 40 years? We've been married 37. Yeah, because it's 1984, and next year will be 40 years. Yeah. 1984 was a great you two year to get kids. married. Yeah. Two kids. Yeah. She was she was, uh, she was was so young that I kept getting pulled over, even in Mississippi. I look back. Son, we don't like uh, you coming across our state <laughs> yeah. line down don't here don't at DeSoto County. Don't, uh, go, don't go with that kind of thing around here. It's my sister. Uh, we is don't it, go for it, that neither. Is this Arkansas? <laughs> <laughs> my cousin. Well, the uh, Kathy was 25 and I was 35. I look back at pictures of us uh, together at that time and I went, somebody should have spoken up. Yeah. Well, I'm about to say, <laughs> when did her parents start talking to you after the wedding? Well, her grandfather did ask her one time. She goes, don't you think you could do better than that? <laughs> <laughs> she said later on he, he, he got to where he liked me, though, Walter. Yeah, and I, and well, all, you were closer to his age, so it, we had a lot in common. Yeah, <laughs> he was in World War Two, and I was just right behind it. Right, uh, yeah. I, World War Two ended nineteen what forty five. Right, I was born nineteen fifty. Well, there you go. So I was almost in it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Fired off a couple of rounds. <laughs> Could have just they just kept it going a little longer. So your prediction on how and what about the the thing that was just uh, by the federal judge that ruled that 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 the Biden administration was. Uh, tilting the scales on on censorship, and they they can't do that. I mean, you can't. They can't. Uh, there's a court case uh, that's precedent for that. That you can't. The government can't induce you to go do what I want. It's they but, can't ask see, somebody but it wasn't else. The to government. Go do it. What they did, they thought they could get away with, was asking the uh, these private businesses. Right, right. To do they it. can't do that either. No, you can't. But, they can't but ask. They did a, it. Right. They can't ask a third party to go do something and here they were getting ready to do it again that's what in real life that's called conspiracy yeah oh yeah and uh it doesn't matter and they send people to prison all the time for conspiracy oh yeah and yet well, and, that's and yet in cover up doj you know, is already the, saying they're going to appeal it so that yeah. says we were breaking the law but we want to do it some more they actually started backing off a little bit well, I, I think they're. They I think they're going to try some other way of. And yeah. Uh, but they're. I think they're going to not fight that in open court. That's called a conspiracy too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Paul Shanklin, thank you very much. You're Angie, welcome. thanks for taking care of us. Uh, that's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Friday. Let's celebrate then. We'll see Woo-hoo! you then.